Hey everyone, welcome back to How to Live the Podcast. And welcome back me from Bali. I'm finally back in Melbourne and back with my team. Yay, we're so glad to have you back and glad that you got back just in time for today's podcast guest, who is Catherine Wills. Kath is the former creative and managing director of Australian accessories brand Mimco and we were actually lucky enough to be styled by Kath on a couple of shoots back in her Mimco days and we've been in awe of her ever since. She went on to actually become our real life mentor and we catch up with her every month or two and she gives us some really invaluable advice on growing a brand. We actually have this saying in our office, WWCD, which stands for What What Would would Kath Do? And we also refer to her as Mama Kath, which is a little thing that's funny because it's behind her back and she doesn't know. Um, Now she does. Yeah. And then it was only really fitting that after Mimco, she went on to start her very own vegan handbag label, Sounds Beast. And if you haven't noticed on Insta, we're completely obsessed with it. I think we have about six Sounds Beast products between us and growing. Like the other day we went to her showroom and just wanted to buy everything. We chat to Kath about what it takes to be a boss, aligning your values with your career, and how working 24-7 isn't necessarily the road to success. Quick side note, Game of Thrones comes out today. Who is excited as we are? So we actually played Shag, Marry, Kill, Got Edition with Kath and our quickfires. And stick around till the end to hear us play it with each other. And oh yeah, you get to hear who's on next week. So um, we're super excited to have you on the podcast today. So just to give our listeners a bit of background, you are actually one of our very real life mentors. Mm. So um, the idea for this podcast was, you know, we have so many fantastic, knowledgeable people in our network and, you know, we really wanted to open up the forum to kind of say, okay, we're having all these really fantastic conversations. Why aren't we having them, you know, and kind of like pulling the curtain up and letting everyone listen mm-hmm. in. So it's really cool today that you're our mentor and we're doing a podcast interview right now, but then we're going to do our mentor session after that. Yes. So let's so jump chose. straight in. <laughs> well, Kath, in her childhood, we want to know all about that. Oh my God. We were, we were actually saying that we can't imagine you not being you. Yeah. And such a big part of you is like you know your experience and your yeah the wisdom that you've gained over the last how well, many that's all years of, that's all of us really i know I mean, but that's, that's every yes, human but being. you are just like you know you're full of wisdom and you're i just guru. like when we were talking about it i was like i imagine kath as like a teenager being like as full of wisdom as she is right now but yeah we'd love to hear about like yeah what what were like those initial years like where did you grow up yep um well Firstly, that's very flattering that you say that to me. Um, I definitely don't think, um, I think wisdom just happens as time goes on and you go through painful and difficult, challenging times and you hopefully learn from those things. So I appreciate that, but I definitely think wisdom is something that just happens and you happens don't have to stress age. about. <laughs> yeah, well, I think people I do stress about it, you know. And yeah, so I guess so. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, it's a, everyone's growing up story is probably a long story, but in sort of in short, um, I'm one of four daughters, one of four girls. Um, we grew up in lots of different places. Father, um, my dad was in the air force, so we, um, like, I went to eight different schools as I was growing up, and I wouldn't call it um, blue collar upbringing, but definitely growing up in as an air force family, it's not an affluent growing up, so definitely there wasn't a lot of money growing, you know, through those years. Where um, did you sit within the sisters? I'm third. Your third yeah. sister. Okay. I would have thought you were oldest. Yeah, I was. I no. was thinking about You're it. You're such and a mama cat, you know. <laughs> you are, but I, when when I was thinking oldest, it doesn't suit you. So that kind of makes sense that you sat somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Well, there was there's two older sisters and one younger sister, and they were called the big ones, and we were called the little ones. Oh, okay. So um, I'm and, still called the little one. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> By everybody. <laughs> well, my younger sister uh, Jen or Jennifer now works with me, so like we we sort of grew up as a twosome, I suppose, and my two older sisters grew up as a twosome. I mean, oh, okay. the, the dynamic changed a lot as we've all as we've all gotten older and you know friendships have evolved I suppose um so yeah eight or so different schools that I think builds resilience 
in itself because you get used to being the new person all the time. Totally. totally. Um, two and a half years of that schooling was in upstate New York and that was also a pretty formative oh, cool. experience because I was super shy before we went to the States and you just don't survive if you're super shy in schools in America. Definitely Isn't that not. so interesting? It's just such a different world. They have such a different culture to us and it doesn't feel completely apparent until you're like in that or living there but yeah as Australians we are so much more like toned down I guess yeah and I just think all those movies of you know the nerds and the geeks and the the jocks like that was it yeah it was was 1980 and it there were girls with cheerleader skirts sweaters and you know (laughs) the name of the high school like on their sweater um, and I so wanted to be them and I so wasn't that. Um, still not that. Um, anyway. Happy you're not that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. Um, and guess. so did you find that hard? That I definitely it? found it um, quite scary. Yeah. They, you know, there was some tough, tough people there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a formative experience. And I think by the time we left two and a half years later, myself and my younger sister had an American accent. The teachers are like, what do you mean you're going back to Australia? You're Australian? Like, yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah. Oh, my God. So how old were you at this point? Um, by the time we left, I was nearly 12. And were you part of a clique in the end? Yeah, I sort of hung out um, with, I guess they were sort of half nerdy, half arty. Like there was a little art crowd that hung out together. Okay. Um, they definitely weren't the popular kids, but they all were quite unique, yeah. unusual people well the popular kids never grow up to do anything cool because they don't need to so I think that definitely is something to there's something to be gleaned from that because then when I came home and went back to the suburbs and we went you know I went to one turn a high school and um yeah that I think looking back now those girls that sort of were the tough ones and that were beating everyone up and you know um sort of playing up in class they yeah I, I mean I I don't necessarily think they're the most driven, the most intelligent people in the class. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> so it's like the diversity that, that you face that like causes you to like push further and like know what you are and be what you are. I think I think I always had a solid knowledge of who I was, and I think even when I was nervous or um, felt lonely or you know wasn't in the gang, I always knew that it wasn't necessarily the gang that I should be a part of anyway like I think I was always quite comfortable standing alone even though that was sometimes lonely if you know what I mean where do you think that kind of came from in you I I just I think um I do think going to different schools being a little bit of a loner sometimes having to look after myself um you know, and it's weird, you know, there's four girls in the family, like we've all, we've all, you know, I guess had each other. But as time has gone on, you know, dad died when I, when I was 19. And I think things like that happen to you and you just, you learn that you have to be um, a little bit of a soldier by yourself, I suppose. And I took that into my working life as well, got, became very self-reliant in the professional space sometimes to the detriment of those working around me like will you just give us some trust like you know Mm. let let us do something for you no no one can do it as well as me (laughs) (laughs) so like we've all faced a little oh it's awful it's It's awful for people to work with that it's hard to let go though it's hard to let go yeah when you're so used to um covering your own ass like making sure that everything is good and under control and done to the standard that you want it to be done to yeah Um, and it's often at those points that you get like the worst result from the people as well because they know you're going to like check over their work or you have final say or whatever so they're not doing their absolute best exactly so it's it's actually something that we've kind of been going through lately as you mm. know um you know we've kind of like been expanding our team a little bit and we've had to go from literally doing everything ourselves yeah to now bringing in these other people which is awesome to have extra hands around but it is a challenge because it's like yeah to what point do i let go to what point do you just go okay it's better that they do it and that i'm freed up my time and and it's just better that it gets done to i think um yeah i think Finding people that have got the right cultural fit and the right attitude to a work ethic, I think, is first and foremost. Um, I mean, technical skills are important, but I think cultural fit and um, uh, an ability to work hard and take feedback and push yourself or themselves to a continuous improvement state. I think those ingredients you need to have in the person first and foremost when they come into the team. 
and then I think as the the owners, founders, leaders, whatever in a in a team or business, it's recognizing that there's so many different ways of doing things. There's there's so many approaches, and I think telling them what you need done is better than telling them what you need done and how to do it because I think everyone will approach a task in a different way. Yeah. Um, and when I learned that, and I have to say I still struggle with it, but I'm better than I used to be. Um, it's, it's quite liberating because you see how someone has approached that task and the results that they've gotten and they're great results and they've, they've come at it in a very different way to how I would do it. But um, it's quite stressful for them when I've told them how to go about it. This is how I do it. You know, this is how I organise myself and this is my schedule and this is how I approach my process. Yeah. And their head's like, well, I don't do it like that so therefore I'm a failure. Yes, that you know? makes a lot of sense. So I think... This is what we have to achieve. You find your way to doing it, but we need it done by this time and this is the budget that we have to adhere to. Go for your life. And then make sure that you check in with them, obviously. Yeah, okay. I love that advice because, yeah, as Steph said, it's definitely something that we're just like starting to learn how to do and wanting to empower the people that we work with. So, yeah, I feel like we're going to write that down and use Ah. that one later. So do you find with telling them what to do and not how to do it have you then ended up learning from people yeah definitely even even working with my sister you know she has a different approach of doing things I'm um I like to have one notebook and I write every single note into that one notebook and then I get a new notebook and I've got you know a stack of notebooks with my years of notes in it Jen has random pieces of paper they're not random she's very organized and she keeps them all together but initially when we were working together I was like how the hell can you be organised with all that paper everywhere? But she's super organised and I just have to basically let it go and recognise that, you know, she pulls it all together and then she gets rid of the things that are no longer important and she keeps those papers with her in her notebook and, you know, that's it. So yeah. I think it's just trusting um, trusting in people around you and then seeing the results versus uh, watching their process and comparing it to your own and thinking that your own is superior all the time. What if you kind of have told them what to do and not how to do it and then you find they're not doing I think, it in the right way? Yeah. Or, well, I think... Or to your standard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that firstly, check-ins are really important. I think people have to feel that there is a not a, not a person breathing down their neck every minute of every day, but there needs to be an understanding and an expectation that there will be whatever that your time frame is, maybe it's every two hours or maybe it's every day if it's a week-long project. And then there needs to be a recognition from you guys or from leadership or, you know, whoever is making the calls that mistakes are going to be made. Like if someone's doing something for the first time, it's not going to be perfect. And it's like a parent doing their kid's homework for five years and then getting down the track and that kid hasn't learned anything about the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they were sitting with me. You know, they were watching me do it. For sure. That's I, such I built a good that analogy. science project for them. I mean, why don't they know how to do a bloody solar system out of styrofoam? I mean, yeah. Really? Totally. And so many parents do that. Just yes. like so many bosses end up doing yeah. the work for them and you're doing them There's a no way of getting to the end unless you walk it yourself. Like there really isn't. You just have to – people have to walk their path and they have to make the mistakes. I mean, of course you as leaders need to watch that those mistakes aren't going to be expensive. But a little mistake here and there – I think it's 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 how we all learn. Mm-hmm. For sure. So I'm interested to know because, like, coming from you know our generation and even the one behind us, that's like it, you know we all just like want to be it now, and we all just kind of want the experience and we want to know it all. Mm. Like, are these things that you're talking about, like you know, becoming like going on this journey of being an a fantastic boss and I know you are a fantastic boss because literally everyone we meet who has worked with you is like raves and raves and raves and it's something that we've discussed and mm, is that nice. something that like you've learned over time like do you feel like you had to tank hard in the beginning oh to- my god not even at the beginning like beginning partly way through and then you know the occasional sort of why did I why did I do it like that um I definitely think I was thrown in um oh I threw myself in the deep end when I first started managing people when I was about 29 30 um I had a team of about five I think most of them resigned like it was a new department at Country Road I was um 
put as the head of the department, Netwear Design Manager. For various reasons, people left. I had to recruit the whole team again from from the beginning. It was a lot of work. Um, I didn't really know, um, you know, how to recruit the right people. Um, so through those years, you know, you you learn by trial and error, I guess, as to as to how to lead people whilst you're also doing a job and hitting timelines and hitting budgets and all the rest of it. Like manage, managing people is a task in itself or it's, a, it's an energy in itself. Um, and then with the Memco experience, um, I mean, I've reflected a lot on the early years of Memco. I was, um, and I'm very, very critical of myself and I look back on those years and, you know, lambast myself for um, not being the leader that I wanted to be, like not being the best version of myself um, and I'm not, I'm not really into making excuses for myself either, which is sort of goes with being harsh, I guess. However, I have been over the years trying to get better at being kinder to myself, and I do recognise that I was working ridiculous hours. Like I, it was ridiculous. I was absolutely slaying myself. And when you're doing that and you're not taking any time to rest. Um, what ends up coming out is like you just sort of explode at times. So it was a combination of sometimes, well, most of the time, overworking, like doing too many jobs myself, not having the right people in the team in the early years, good people but not necessarily skilled people and people that um, could run with the task and actually um, manage what had to be managed. So it was Again, it was quite lonely and quite, you know, Jesus, am I the only one sitting on this management team by myself, building strategies, you know, like very, um, well, um, frustrated and stressed, I suppose. So I guess in time you learn um, that you can't do everything yourself, particularly as a business gets bigger. And, you know, the turnover of the business was growing rapidly and as better recruitment happened as better people came into the business um the, my stress levels went down and it became a happier place to work I was happier and the business was more successful I also did like, like some 360 degree executive training or feedback yeah oh, do you yeah. think yeah. And like, as you were talking about like learning yeah. to be a leader I feel yeah. like you know people turn to business books and leadership books and all those yeah. kinds of things but and is podcasts. it is and podcasts is it kind of like the same as an employee has to walk their own path really is you know the key to being a leader just being a leader until you kind of get it I think um I think yes to a certain degree I mean I think that there are some core traits that come with being a good leader and I've worked with people that are in leadership positions that I sometimes have not thought that they are illustrating leadership traits I look at our government sometimes and I think they don't illustrate leadership traits. I mean, recognising that the buck stops with you and good decisions, bad decisions, you have to own them, you know, and you, the fish does rot from the head. Like, I think if you're not a good leader, then you don't have a good culture in the business. It does filter through the entire the entire business. So I think recognising that you have to walk the walk and um, lead by example with people, which I guess is why those years I was working like an absolute Trojan. I thought if I if I show that this is the ethic that I want to have in the business, then that will, you know, permeate the rest of the business. Unfortunately, sometimes what that sort of says to everyone is we have to bloody kill ourselves if we want to work for Cath Wells. Yeah, which you know, is not healthy either. As well. Yeah, totally. which is yeah. not healthy. And you know, I took a long time to learn that I had to look after myself and put that out to the rest of the team. Yeah, to show them that. You need to take some time out. You need to relax sometimes. Work-life balance is important, but I also think if you love your work, then it doesn't feel like work, you know? Totally. Well, that's what actually we wanted to ask you mm. about because you are like, you know, the person that we can, we feel like we can email you at any hour yeah. of the day and like within two hours, like, you know, either side of like midnight and 6 a.m., we'll probably get a response. Um, maybe like... 2am and 6am rather <laughs> um but yeah it is really interesting with work-life balance and you you talked about like looking after yourself I'm interested to know like how do you take time out for yourself and mm. do you view your I guess your incredible work ethic as 
a positive or a negative? I know you call yourself on your Insta bio creative workaholic, mm. which I really like and think is completely accurate. Mm. I think I um, probably um, 15 years ago, I wore my workaholic um, badge with pride in quite a martyr sort of manner. I was like, you know, well, I work all the time. So, you know, that's why I do what I do sort of thing. And that's why I do a good job. And it was so irritating to to people probably, certainly to me when I look back on it in hindsight. I'm very proud of the fact that I work a lot because I love what I do and I feel not proud. Proud's actually not the right word. I'm I'm fortunate that I get to work on something that I love doing. And certainly at the moment in a startup, building a small business, you guys would know this, there isn't a lot of downtime. Um, and thank God I do actually love what I do because it I would you know, probably get quite resentful you know, and I think I, I even I loved what I did at Mimco as well, and not the times when I was nearly having a nervous breakdown, but certainly, you know, doing a ten or eleven hour day and working on a Saturday or a Sunday doesn't doesn't perturb me if I'm doing what I love to do. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think workaholic has such a negative connotation. I suppose I do have it on my Instagram because it is the word that is familiar in society, but like it's just. It's it's endeavor. It's positive endeavor in your life. I mean, what am I? What, what else are you going to do? Yeah, maybe you should change it to "I love what I do." I love what I do. Yeah, <laughs> and I do I it all so. the time. <laughs> but getting back to the three hundred and sixty degree feedback, because I think that is quite important. Um, I think, and you're right. People do read books. They listen to podcasts. They want to develop themselves further. Um, the further up the corporate chain you go, I found the less feedback you tend to get from people, and you have to. Um, certainly your direct reports don't give you feedback. They might talk amongst themselves, but no one's actually saying to you, um, you know, I wasn't comfortable with this or actually I'm um, whatever. Like they're not necessarily going to be, uh, they're, they're scared. Yeah, Generally. it's interesting that you say that because we actually had um, someone come in and run a session the other day yeah. that was called The Meaning of Work mm-hmm. um, and it kind of opened up dialogue within our team and we all went around and spoke about Um, a time we discovered a passion which kind of like you know got us all a bit more comfortable with Mm. each other and opening up a little bit and then we went around and we spoke about um, you know different um, principles that people have um, when it comes to work and all different aspects of work and the workplace and culture um, and how we feel about them and we had time to go and write about it and then we shared with each other and it was just like a really interesting experience Mm. to be, be so open with our team and, and share that kind of thing because, you know, we, we feel like we know each other so well. You spend all day, every day with these people, yeah. but you never really open up. And we ended with um, going around and each sitting in the middle of the circle and all saying things that we liked about that person. That's and a nice exercise. It was really it was nice. Yeah. so nice. It was confronting and actually all of us afterwards, like we've spoken to everyone and everyone actually felt really uncomfortable getting the nice Receiving it. Yeah. It feels so good to give it, but Mm -hmm. then like there's something about receiving it that's like weird in our brains. Totally. Why can't I just take what they're saying in? But then I like went and analyzed it and I was like, well, they said this about me, but they didn't say this about me. You know, Mm. all these like weird things Mm -hmm. that we do as humans. Absolutely. For people that don't necessarily know your history would love to just run through your history with Mimco and Country Road Group and what led you to where you are now yep um so I guess sort of going right back to the beginning of my um working life I worked in an office I didn't go to university immediately after school worked in an office for I don't know a year or so um and then I worked in retail for Benetton for a couple of years and then um then my father died and I sort of lost it for a bit and I worked I worked in hospitality for about a year and a half and then I went to JAG or Palmer Corporation and I was a fabric assistant for a bit I was an assistant to the national wholesale manager like a um, a PA sort of person um I did administrative assisting sort of tasks within the JAG space and then I went to RMIT and studied fashion design as a mature age student at the right old age of 24 how funny is that so funny mature age students like when I was at uni and I was 18 like I remember mature age at like 22 exactly now I'm 26 and I'm like oh shit I'm over mature age exactly (laughs) exactly well I was married as well like I got married at 22 so I was you know I'd worked for six years I was married I had a hyphenated name so I was very grown up compared to the high school kids coming into uni clearly I wasn't bloody grown up but I mean that was my view of myself at the time so after RMIT, I um, 
I interviewed at a couple of places. I interviewed at Scanlon, I interviewed at Country Road and I got a job at Country Road. And you wanted to be a designer at that point? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I wasn't sure uh, what field of design I wanted to go into. Um, I liked knitwear um, and so I was fortunate to get a a junior job in the knitwear department at Country Road. Um, It was knitwear and cut and sew. And I was there for about, um, I was only there for actually um, a year or so initially. Um, and then my marriage broke up and I moved to London for a year and just um, ran away for a bit and played and grew my wings um, in all forms. And then I came back to Country Road and I that was where the evolution of the knitwear design team was established. Um, I mean, things happened in between, obviously, but and through that period, I went to Pitti Filati in Florence. I learned a lot about fully fashioned knitwear. Yarn was something that was um, I was super excited about, as well as learning about knitwear. And um, then, look, Country Road sort of, in my mind, progressively, um, well, it, it evolved, I guess, in its management style and in its approach to product design. And eventually, it became evident to me that it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, I was interested in a more creative path than the path that it was going down. Um, But in that period, I was managing a team of uh, five or six um, within the knitwear and cut and sew, and we were servicing men's and women's um, divisions. Um, So I left Country Road and I started freelancing because I just, I was pretty unhappy and I didn't want to be um, in that space anymore. So how old were you at that point? Um, I quit Country Road when I was... um, uh, 33, I think mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, 34, 33, 33. And so at this point you were divorced, you were leaving a job. Was that kind of scary? You felt like you were starting over a little bit? Look, I've never really put the divorce thing in terms of, a, um, oh my God, I'm divorced and I don't have a job. I mean, it was just part of my history. I married sort of my high school sweetheart and, you know, that was that was done. So mm-hmm. um, I didn't think of that as a... Um, didn't think of it the way you just said it. To be <laughs> Good. <laughs> I was like, Perfect. I'm free. I'm free on all fronts, actually. Um, so I freelanced just to a couple of small businesses here and there. Um, and then Amanda Briskin rang me and um, said that she wanted some help with knitwear. Um, she wanted a full-time designer. And I was like, yeah, I don't want a full-time job. I'm freelancing. Anyway, I went in. How did you know her, sorry? I didn't. She... Oh. Um, I was a referee for someone that had applied for a job and so she saw my name on there and she thought I'll call her. Oh, cool. I know, random. Yeah. Um, We got along very well and so I did freelance with Mimco for about 18 months um, building up a knitwear range, um, primarily for David Jones but also for the boutiques. And I just felt that uh, the dynamic, the energy, the the pace... um, spoke my language I felt that it was the right space for me for that period of time for freelancing um and then um one thing led to another and there were some changes in the team and Amanda um you know asked me to be a part of the whole design team side of things and so beginning of 2006 um I sort of signed on as design manager with her and then I became creative director the CEO um started to recruit I thought he started to recruit um I was creative director as I said I was working pretty hectically at that stage um and then he said well why don't you take on the commercial side of it as well like why don't you be everything not everything but you know both sides um and you know my response was because I'm already bloody busy already (laughs) you know that martyr badge was glowing very brightly at that stage um but of course I took it on I you know thought well he believes in me I can do this um and that's that really I thought that I'd already been working hard but that the next two years I that was when I pretty much nearly killed myself like um the the stress the hours um like getting in early not getting home until nine o'clock working on weekends um you know and when you when you work like that then um you know then you have a few drinks and you you know you need to unwind and it's just unhealthy yeah it's it's an unhealthy cycle um you don't exercise you snap faster at people than you would normally you know your patience runs out because you're not sleeping as well Mm -hmm. and I was like yeah well who who else is going to do it I mean you know things are going to fall down I I've always had that sense that very weighty sense of responsibility 
if no, uh, you know, if I don't do it, no one's going to do it. Yeah, it's sort of very, totally. um, I don't think it's a fault. I, I just think it's an interesting trait. It's, it's, um, I, I haven't decided whether I think there's a level of narcissism there or whether there's just a, a strong independent resilience that recognises that if all falls down around you, at least you've got, you've got this. I would say it's the second one. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I would like to think it's the second and one. And I think narcissists often, it's not really backed up by anything. Like they think that of themselves, but it's not necessarily Possibly. true. Whereas with you, it's, we can corroborate that for you. That's totally true. Yeah. You do got this and you know it. So. Yeah. Uh, but so kind of getting into the values, I guess, that we share, you know, um, I'm really interested in like where that came about and where that journey started for you to kind of start being mindful of um, animals and the effects that the fashion industry is having on them. I think it's really um, common, I guess, for um, young people now to, you know, we want to get this experience and we want to be like working in companies, but at the same time, like their values don't necessarily align Mm. with ours. Where did that start for you? Look, I've always loved animals. And I mean, I always had in the back of my mind, you know, we're skinning cows for for handbags. And I would say that to the designers. And I'd sort of, I knew that I had a certain level of cognitive dissonance that I was just engaging. Like I just put it aside in my mind. Because I really did believe that it was a byproduct of the meat industry. And the meat industry was a fait accompli that was going to keep growing. So of course, we're going to use, we should use all the animal or all the beast. So, you know, leather, say lovey. I guess what has happened is there is so much more information now available in terms of documentaries that are being made that are exposing what happens on factory farms. Um, so I watched a lot of those. There's a couple, a couple of friends you know, on Facebook were sharing articles. I clicked on them. I read them. Knowledge base grew. I started reading books on the subject what um, documentaries were you watching cowspiracy um oh, even cowspiracy. even forks over knives um food inc i mean they're a lot about the food mm-hmm. um supply side of things but they do cover mass agriculture because that is very much linked to the food in um the feeding of the world um, or the business of feeding the world i wouldn't say that there's anything altruistic about it i think the world you know there's still people starving in the world, yet we're still raising and killing more animals than ever. So yeah. I really don't think this is about feeding the world. It's about making money. Um, so, yeah, watching documentaries, reading books. Um, and then then as um, Country Road Group uh, were really building their corporate social responsibility team, um, I put my hand up to be the exec sponsor for the animal welfare um, side of things. Um and you know, I think they do, you know, CRG it, as a big business do a lot of work to make sure that, you know, they've got transparent supply chains, they are, you know, they, they're caring about where their raw materials are coming from. So I feel if I could have been part of any business, it was a good business to be a part of as far as that goes. So did you work with Country Road, then Mimco, then Country Road bought Mimco? Correct. Okay. I skipped that point. Yeah. 2012. Yep. Got it. Okay. Because yeah, I another was like, sale well, went we through. Country Road, Mimco. That's so yeah. funny that you went full circle. Oh, it is so funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was interesting. Um, yeah. So the animal welfare um, side of corporate social responsibility, I guess the more I read, the more I... Um, became more and more cognizant that you can do everything in your power as a business to buy um, so-called ethical hides, but there is such a lack of transparency when it comes to where the beast or the animal actually has been um, born, raised, and then where it's going to get slaughtered. There's so many blind spots in that chain that I felt progressively, it wasn't an immediate epiphany, but progressively I felt I was going to have to walk away from at some stage. It, it progressively became more and more uncomfortable for me um, because I realised I was being delusional from my, from my ethic, ethical stance mm-hmm. anyway. Um, and, you know, of course there were other things, you know, I was also feeling like it was creative Groundhog Day for me at Mimco. As I said, the business was flying. It was all in a great position. I felt I'd written so many narratives, recruited a lot of people, written so many strategies, I'd done so many presentations, everything I'd done before. And so my resignation wasn't, uh, right, I'm out of here because I don't want to kill animals anymore. That I'd stopped eating meat about a year prior um, and I certainly ate very little dairy. Um, there were other issues going not issues, there were other questions in my mind about wanting a fresh start. Um, so, yes, I left... 
And then it took me another year or so to realise. I certainly knew that I didn't want to work with leather again. That was adamant. But I thought maybe I'll go and be an employee again. Um, So there was a few things that had to click into place for me. It was, no, I don't want to be an employee. And it was um, a a solidifying of that non-animal stance. Um, And yes, it was going to be a vegan brand, um, which did take a while to settle because I do think there is still less so it's certainly becoming more um, comfortable in society but I do think there is still such a oh you're a vegan uh, a vegan like yeah you totally know, like you're a different kind of race yeah exactly and like um, oh you're instantly going to be completely preachy like I yeah. think that's the that's yeah the idea think, people have about vegans I think so and I think um there's um a fear in people that it might highlight it might it might suggest not force it might suggest to people that they need to think a little bit they should maybe think a little bit more about provenance of their food or provenance of their fashion Mm -hmm. um you know we're all up in arms about plastic bags rightly so but plastic bags are sort of easy to dislike Mm -hmm. you know there's no there's no issue with that it's an easy sort of thing to rally against um of course we're against slavery in the fashion chain also an easy thing to rally against but when it comes to animals, it's like, yeah, you're a bleeding heart. I mean, come on, you know, it's part of the meat industry and they have happy lives and then they're just slaughtered. And oh, there's so many lies that we're told on that front. Yeah. So um, I'm, you know, we're a year down the track now where we turn one in, in another month. Um, I was resilient about and felt strong about the brand message when I first launched, but I'm... I'm doubly strong about it now. Like I'm, that's so not a proper term, but I feel doubly strong. I'm doubly strong. I feel very committed to what I'm doing and very committed to the cause. And if you know, when, even when people say, "Oh, but you know, it's got a plastic coating on it," it's like, well, that's cool. Let's have a conversation about it. Let me tell you about what actually is sprayed on leather. Should we talk about the chemicals and the water use that goes into leather? Totally. Because yeah. I think <laughs> if we start to think about you know, all the things that we are doing wrong, you completely spiral and end yeah. up living in a bubble that's definitely not made of plastic. There's just, there's just there's no perfection out there mm-hmm. at all. We're working in the fashion industry and fashion by its nature changes and change means we need people to buy the next thing. That is how people make profit. That's, that's just the truth of it, I think. So um, it, I think you have to choose what resonates with you. And for me, I think animal agriculture and how animals are treated on this planet is slavery in itself it is absolutely horrific and if it was all good like a lot of people say it is then let's just throw open the doors to all those sheds let's throw open the doors to the slaughterhouses and show the consumers what happens Mm, totally it's foul yeah i love hearing you talk about it i couldn't agree with everything that you're saying more and i think that's so true what you mentioned before about like you know it was your own delirious or like there was a a disconnect cognitive dissonance absolutely because that's exactly how i felt like even growing up eating meat like i always loved animals like you but that I purposely had to create this disconnect so I could eat the thing on my plate and still pat the thing in the yard, you know? And then when I decided that that wasn't right, I actually had to like consciously form every day. Like even now when I'm like, "Mm, yum, that person's eating a chicken sandwich, I literally like in my brain go, oh wait, that's like that thing that like we shouldn't kill. And I imagine a chicken and then I'm like, ooh, no, not for me. Yeah, I think it takes time definitely to see that flesh as something that was actually a sentient being not that long ago well because i think we're groomed in this society to not think about those things Um, yeah and even like you know i think it's amazing that you're kind of like pioneering the way of like good quality vegan bags um because they are excellent quality and a really really great price point but even like you know it's steph's birthday on monday so i've been shopping around and like obviously you know everything i want to buy like ideally is animal friendly and it's still so hard to find Mm. like it's ridiculous that even like they're not that like most brands even aren't offering an option yet like yes we still do leather but if you don't want it like here's an option that's Mm. just as good those don't even exist yet it'll happen though I mean it is starting to happen out there in the marketplace and I you know it's kind of you to say that I'm a pioneer but I do think that I'm actually I wouldn't say late to the party but I don't think I'm um, I'm, I'm not the first at the party and I'm not sure I would have wanted to be. I think about Matt and Nash, you know, that started 15, 18 years ago, I think, even 20 years ago in, in Canada. 
I don't aesthetically it's not a brand for me I mean a big part of Song Beast is to do something cool in the non-leather space same whereas I think exactly some really yeah well that's the thing because it started for the hardcore vegans and 15 years ago like you know they were the people that were just wearing the the plain brown bags and now I think like hemp I think that the fact that we both have vegan labels, though, is, is and do what we do and it's it's cool and it's for the fashion forward consumer mm. is showing that it is catching on yeah, more and more. And I'm sure you feel it too that, like, you know, even over the last couple of years of doing tubes, we feel that, like, a couple of years ago, like, a lot of people just didn't care about the animal-friendly factor or the vegan factor and we yeah. just had to sell it as a cool shoe. But now we feel that more and more people are, even if they still wear leather that they like that they're adding this thing to their wardrobe Definitely. and that it's and that it didn't kill any it's animals in the making free, as well yeah for sure i think um we definitely have people um shopping with us that are buying leather <clears throat> and that, that are not vegetarian that are not vegan um and they just like the bag because of mm-hmm. the way it looks and that is fine because i think there's still a message in there certainly in the swing ticket and what we say to people that gets them thinking mm-hmm. that gets them thinking about the cruelty free side of things and really that's how it, it has to start. I mean, consumers are the ones that are going to make any difference to animal cruelty in the world. Yeah. It's not going to come from government. It's not going to come from industry. It's going to come from consumers saying, oh, I don't want to buy that if that's where it came from. Yes. That's why there's such fear. You know, the amazing um, producer and director who put Dominion together. I mean, Dominion's another film which is incredible and most of it is, most of it has been shot in Australia, on Australian farms. He's recently put a map out there that identifies where all the farms are that are mass raising animals and slaughtering animals really yeah and it's you know it's it's caused it's caused upset because you know a lot of these people are they're farmers they're they're small family businesses and you know I can imagine it's like I can see the other side of it I but I do think as humans we have to evolve you know I I understand it must feel like well we've always done this we've always raised animals we've always slaughtered animals Mm -hmm. what are the bleeding hearts bleeding heart greenies doing to us like they're ruining our our livelihood totally and, and I, like with that logic we've always oppressed women we've never let them vote correct. like yeah. all we've mm, always what about slavery exactly yeah. so like no progression would ever be made without yeah. people actually rising up and causing a little bit of a revolution and causing discomfort i mean people um i've had people say to me when i've talked about animal activism which i don't have the courage to be a part of i mean i really salute those people that go into the farms and do the footage because it's often dangerous um you know I've had people say but you know they're breaking into people's property I mean that's that's awful they shouldn't do that it's like well so 200 years ago when people broke into properties and freed um African slaves do we look back and say that they were criminals Mm -hmm. we actually look back and we say they were heroes yeah well at the time people were probably going these people are criminals what are they doing this is outrageous and and they were jailed for it yeah no doubt these these humans with different color skin are our stock how dare they take them away from our property it's like we, we just first we need to make an ethical decision about what our future is and then we need to figure out how we build um employment and job growth that doesn't involve cruelty I mean, I think we're coming at it us about if we just say, but what about all the jobs? What about employment? People have farmed for generations. What are they going to do? We are a very innovative species. Mm-hmm. So surely we just need to say, well, let's make an ethical decision first. Let's decide what makes us revolting or admirable. Get on the right side of the fence and then make a plan for how mm-hmm. we're going to actually um, ensure that humans can continue to earn a living, feed the family, etc. So we obviously love and support that animal aspect um, and everything you're doing with Sounds Beast and would love to hear a little bit more about how it was kind of going out on your own from being the head of this big company. Mm. Um, You know, Jess and I often discuss that like we see people who have worked within a company and think they can just go out on their own and it's going to be just as easy and then often, you know, these companies end up failing or, you know, it takes years before you can really gain traction but I would say that you are a rare case where you've gone out on your own you've only started Sands Beast a year ago and already you're in big retailers which obviously you know you had these connections previously and um, you know we're already seeing Sands Beast all over Melbourne like constantly weekly now see people wearing them how has that been Mm. that transition for you and you know do you just think everything else you've done up to that had had kind of led you to that moment Uh, Yeah, I mean, I certainly am very uh, grateful that I had so many sleeves rolled up moments in both both 
in all jobs actually I'm glad I'm glad I worked in hospitality in my 20s you know there's I'm glad I worked in retail I think there's so many different bits and pieces that you pull from your career you, you pull on every possible resource you have when you're starting a business um, I um, oh, I guess the biggest thing is and it, I think it does sound a bit cliche but the biggest it is a very humbling experience I mean you you stop being invited to things I mean not completely but generally speaking um, you, you're not the executive um, lead of a successful brand anymore you're working out of a warehouse in a tiny space um, you know you don't have any staff your sister's working with you who bloody has been fantastic and has had my back all the way um, your partner you drag in to you know do a little bit of work here and there it's it's humbling because you, you're just thinking what the f have I done like no, no I sorry I never questioned leaving that life I just used to have a bit of a laugh in the early days of zombies thinking um, it's it's such a different gig. You know, I'm wearing trainers and comfortable shoes to work every day, like the heels have been totally put to the back of the wardrobe. Thank Amen. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is so rewarding when you, um, you know, you build the Shopify site or you... Um, you know, sort out with the help of other people that you talk to, you know, Facebook ads or you see your Instagram feed that you have totally been labouring over, you know, grow um, or you get customer feedback. Oh, my God, I love my bag. This is amazing. You know, and people post photos of themselves. So all the time there is there is constant learning. There's constant um, um, – it's, it's such a, a, I don't know, a vital and raw environment because you get – you get immediate feedback. You know, you get the DMs on Instagram. You get the emails. You are dealing with customer service. You're dealing with the digital agency. You're dealing with PR stylists. Um, all those things. Um, so, I had touched a lot of those things in the years of working. Definitely, um, thank God I had. But you know, the digital space, as one example, I thought I was pretty savvy in that space through my role at Mimco. I was. Know, always talking to our teams about that I was um, definitely very much into the social media um, um, sphere but it is a whole different realm learning the intricacies of Google Analytics and learning Google Ads and I'm still not good at Google Ads um, learning keywords and you know all the side of all the facets and SEO the facets of um, running a you know um, an online direct-to-consumer model versus having stores um, has been has had many challenges but it's been super liberating because it's rewarding when you figure shit out and you actually get some wins along the way I guess it's like um you know I'm not I'm not a cook um but I guess it is sort of like cooking in some ways like it is it's it's making a recipe from scratch like it is making something right from the beginning and I look back a year down the track now and there's four of us in the office John's in the warehouse um, you know we've had a couple of freelancers in and out I look at our little studio it's a small space but it's a gorgeous little space and you know we've we've I think we've kicked some good goals this year and I'm definitely um, I don't quite know where I want it to go like I don't I'm I'm very excited about the niche the growth of niche in the world I think you can have a successful, self-sustaining, um, profitable business um, without it being a behemoth. I really do. I think mid-sized businesses can be a beautiful thing. So I'm, I don't think I really want it to be a huge, huge, huge enterprise. Um, but I want it to be um, bigger than just bags. I want it to have a few more categories. Um, yeah. There's a few more sort of things on the wish list there. And I'd like it to be a bigger team at some stage because I think having that team culture is a very rewarding human... It's rewarding on a human front, I suppose. And really, if you love what you do and you love the people that you're working with, I don't mean being best friends with them. But <laughs> Clear you know, on that. Yeah, um, you know, culturally, that can be a super rewarding thing to have in life. Um, yeah. That's really interesting because we were wondering where you want to see Soundspace go yeah. and if you want to see it become like a Mimco. Yeah, I, I've, I have had to only recently give that, um, you know, I'm, I'm big on planning. I'm big on um, 
well, I make I'm big on schedules and being organised. Um, and I have had moments where I've thought, have I failed in the startup scenario by not having a five-year plan as to where I see this going? Yeah. Um, but I, I genuinely think that you have to leave some things a little bit organic. Um, and I, I really don't think a year ago I knew, I genuinely knew what my vision for it was other than getting it off the ground and seeing it live now I think um, I'd like to, I definitely want to have a few um, retail stores, probably, I don't know, two within two years, but I need to figure out the financial side of that, how I actually make that happen. Um, I don't really want to take on investment. I want John and I to be able to fund it, um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm just, it's not that, I definitely don't, um, I want it to be a decent sized business for sure but I think that there and I haven't figured out what the limit is or what the number is but I think that there is um, a breaking point or a tipping point when businesses lose their soul and they lose connectivity with the customer Mm -hmm. and the drive becomes about profit versus um, connectivity and joy and I'm, I'm not a herbal McGurbal, you know, I'm just in this for the joy of it and, you know, take all my money and I'm happy to be destitute. Clearly, I like money and I, lo- I want to be comfortable. I want to continue to travel. I want to do lots of things in life. Um, but I think there has to be that balance between profitability and pleasure um, that I'm still trying to figure out where that tipping point is. I mean, clearly, I'm a long way off it because we're a year in. But I think, I don't know, maybe 10 stores definitely want to be more international than than um than just being an australian-based brand um i think that's important but as i said earlier i think you can be a niche mid-size business international comfortable making a good amount of money um and you can still hold on to your soul and um and and have purpose you know the, the team members that come to work each day feel like they're actually part of something that is making a difference that's great i feel like that's the perfect note to end off on that excellent Me too. can't that wait was... to see what's in store for the future of sounds beast and yeah i can't wait to go shopping in a sounds beast store totally. yeah, i can't yeah. wait to get onto that oh i can imagine one in hong kong when you said that i was just like yeah hong kong Asia. would be great yeah, yeah definitely so we always like to wrap up with something a little bit fun, mm-hmm. which is our quick fire question. Not that the whole podcast wasn't fun. No. I had a great time. But that something even more fun. Um, so we will just give you these yeah, yeah. quick fire questions and you just tell For us sure. your answers. Yep. Okay. First one is, what's your dream Sounds Beast collab? Mm, that's not quick fire. <laughs> Everybody Everyone always says, says that. that. To hell? us, they're quick Isn't fire. Isn't there like one like at the top of your... You know, just like the dream. It's already in the brain. You don't have to think. It's no, not. It's I can so see not, your face. It's so not in my brain. No. Oh no. Okay, we're gonna have to rethink no. quick fire. Maybe um, we should be like quick one line, like one. Maybe it should be called one word answer. You know <laughs> what? I actually, I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm getting excited about spaces at the moment. Now, clearly, a store for us is down that way down the track. But I'd love to be a part of um, a hotel or a, um, a hospitality venture that was purely vegan but a beautiful, super stylish space. So I think Sombeast collaborating in that sort of environment would be more exciting to me than doing a shoe or doing um, jewellery range or um, something with another designer. And okay. All but those other collaborations are great. Are there vegan hotels? No, well, not, not that yet. I'm aware of, no. Cool. No, but There I are think probably like some eco-resorts. There are some like eco, that, yeah. But yeah. We want like, something I think bigger. I've seen there are some zero waste hotels, which is awesome. Yeah, That's this, amazing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, next one word answer question. What was your last online purchase? Um, I had to replace my Celine glasses that I lost at Florence. Oh, oh devastating. Oh, I saw that yeah. at Florence and the Machine. So I sat on it for a week oh. and a half and thought you don't deserve to buy new ones, Catherine, because that was so careless of you. And then I had a bad day and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to get onto matches.com and buy them. Good, Good for, for you. you. Exactly. I, I have like this thing with sunglasses where I just like lose them 24-7. These are my opticals. Yeah. Oh, no. They're Celine, they're Celine Sunnies and that you, I got my prescription put into. And you no. were wearing them in your, your in the beginning of your Insta stories at the concert. Mm. And then by the end, you were storying like they're gone. RIP glasses. They're gone. Oh, that's sad. But somebody that stole them must have had to have the same, you no, know. They just, the, they just would have put their own lenses in. 
the frames were well, like, they just would have taken it. They wouldn't have frames for three time. months. It's not yeah. like they would have like picked them up, put them up, been like, oh, oh that's no, not those my <laughs> don't, don't you suit. think? Don't you think that's a deterrent though? It's like, well, I can't see out of these, so I'm not going to steal them. Oh, now. But maybe so sell stupid. them. Okay, like guys, can we just them. move on from the fact that my glasses have now cost me $2,000? Oh, God. Okay, don't worry. It's the same things happened to me with my sunglasses. Someone broke into our hotel room and stole them. Yes. I don't know if you... Yeah, I think we yes. discussed this with yes. you. And so I had to replace them. And then this one here, when I... The one time she's borrowed them, the one time she's... The li- literal them, sh- one day I borrowed them. We share everything. But for some reason, she'd only ever worn these once. We were in the back of a Didi in China and she put them on the back of like the... That net thing I like that sits on the back of the seat. I like hooked them onto yes. the seat in front of me, like while I took a snooze. Like we were driving from Guangzhou to Hujie, and then I just didn't take them off. Have you ever watched a reality show? Oh, I've been forced to watch snippets when it's been on television, but I'm not really into it. <laughs> we didn't think so. We no, thought no. maybe you'd have like a bachelorette or something under oh your belt. Oh my god! I it, it, I would admit it. That was a guilty pleasure. I think they're so bloody boring, girls. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. We think the opposite. But okay, moving on. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to agree on everything. Um, uh, what's in your Sandsby's handbag right now? Um, my laptop. Um, my notebook. Um, a little pouch with my makeup in it that's going to be it's a new pouch that we just developed as our new edgar's mission charity piece oh, great so we're just getting those produced at the moment just made out of a recycled um um poly sort of sacking bag thing um what else a few pens my favorite pens i've got four of them just in case they get stolen um my how often do pens get stolen well, oh you mean like borrowed and they're just borrowed and they're not stolen like from criminals yeah. just, just, <laughs> like, john likes to write the sister. postcards with the, yeah jen definitely and john likes to write the um zombies postcards with them so he always takes them um my um headphones for listening to music on um when i'm on the train what are your headphones oh they're just they're just iphone ones okay. they're, they're not big ones i've got to, i like to keep them in a little bag so they're compact mm-hmm. they're quite practical um, and I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think you're really going to like this last one. So we happen to know that you might not like reality TV, but we know that you watch TV because we have a shared love of Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> so we thought, perfect, we can ask you a Game of Thrones related question. Oh my God, I can't wait for April. I hope John doesn't mind this one, but we're going to play Shag, Marry or Kill, uh-huh. Game of Thrones edition. Mm. Rob Stark, Jon Snow, Ned Stark. Okay. We thought we'd go the three Stark boys. Okay, so I have to shag, marry, or kill each one Each. of them. Yeah. Okay. I like. Yeah. Oh, I like them all. Well, one of them's got to be killed. Sorry. Okay. Um. Probably. Um. Oh. I love the say that. Say them again. So it's Ned, Ned Stark, Rob. And, yeah. And who? And um, John. So John Ned Stark, Stark, the dad. Rob Stark, the son, and then Jon Snow, the other son. Three very good-looking men. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm just thinking. Um, I'd probably. I know. Um, I don't think I could marry Rob or um, <clears throat> or Jon Snow. I think I'd. Ha- I know it seems silly, but I'd probably have to marry Ned. Yeah, You're married to Ned because he's much smarter than the yeah, other two. Yeah, he is. He's very insightful. Yeah, he's very insightful, and he's. Um, He's just wiser. I think the other two would bore me pretty quickly. So I'd probably kill Rob. And what would I, what was I doing? Well, he to, dies anyway. So yeah, exactly. So he's will shag John. Maybe someone yeah. hasn't seen it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> what do you mean? I've seen them all. No. No. For some, someone a listening. Listener. Oh. I'll surely everybody's watched if yeah, they were exactly. going to by now. It's about exactly. to be over. So you're yes. shagging John. I'm shagging John. Well, there yeah. you go. You're into Johns. You have a thing mm. for Johns. Mm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. I love that. Wow, what an amazing episode. I just love Kath. We always learn so much from her every time we see her. And even though she's the busiest person in the world, she always seems to have time for us. She actually hung around um, to have a quick mentor session after this interview and she was helping us on a new product that we're developing for Tubes. She's so good when it comes to like mood boards and trends and color palettes and she always has this way of managing to put forward ideas that hadn't even occurred to us we are forever grateful that she is our mentor and hopefully we'll have her back on the podcast sometime soon because i feel like we could just talk to her for days so before we wrap up and tell you who's on next week as promised we're going to play shag marry or kill game of thrones edition john snow ned stark rob stark go um okay i'd shoot ned stark 
I... Don't even say you're going to marry Rob because that is my husband right there. Nah. I'll marry Jon Snow and I'll shag Rob Stark. Okay, well, I'll shag your husband, Jon Snow, and I'll marry Rob Stark because, okay, from Game of Thrones. Poor I'll... Ned. We just didn't Sorry, even Ned. think about it. No, but I think Kath married Ned, so that's fine. That's true. At least Ned got something out of it. Um, ever since The Bodyguard, I am just like honestly obsessed with Rob Stark. I know that's not mm. Rob Stark, but that character. That's He's who I marry. He's good in that. He's great. So if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a comment, hit that subscribe button tell your friends and also if you haven't done it already post a pic or video of you to instagram stories tag us and we'll repost it we absolutely love seeing you guys listening to our podcast and we love to share it too so next week we actually have a super exciting episode planned for you it is to celebrate world earth day a very important day celebrating our earth so have a great week and we will see you next week bye Na 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 na